In our second discussion, I introduced my friend Jason Black to one of my intellectual heroes and the father of permission marketing, Seth Godin. Join us to find out more details about the connection economy, idea viruses and purple cows. You're listening to Digital Bacon FM. Now, it's time to chat to the legend, the suavest man in marketing, Mr. Stephen Barnes, for our Marketing Matters segment all the way from Hong Kong. I've got him on the line, but before we open that connection, I thought because I see him as the 007 of marketing, that we would introduce him properly. Here's a little bit of Shirley Bassey to start off his segment. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well in yourself. I, uh, I chatted to you a second before uh, and you told me that there's lots of construction going on, as is the case normally in Hong Kong. So uh, please excuse the noise. Um, yeah, Hong Kong cacophony. Cuff, That's what uh, you get. Uh, you get your marketing uh, insights, and you get the banging of Hong Kong uh, to boot. <laughs> At least people all, know all it's part real. of the service. Absolutely. So, Goldfinger was the introduction, but given that you're going to talk about um, Seth Godin a little today, let's go from gold to purple. Uh, well, yeah, what you're really talking about is one of my intellectual heroes, Seth Godin, right? Yep. Uh, world's uh, arguably the world's uh, most important marketeer, uh, certainly of the last I would say uh, twenty years. Wow. Um, Seth Godin uh, started his life as a um, well. Firstly, he's a very well qualified guy. He's got an MBA from Stanford University, but uh, his early career, as I've come to understand it, was in book packaging pre-internet. Uh, so he would take uh, an idea for a book that had uh, a, 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 a prospective audience of a, ter- of a certain size and they could um, produce this particular book, have a, a way to take it to market uh, and then uh, you know sell a few thousand copies and make some money out of it and then sort of rinse, repeat and carry on doing that. Mm. Uh, and all of this was sort of happening just about the time where the internet was really starting to sort of uh, show its, um, itself for, uh, for what it ultimately went on to be. Mm. Uh, and by his own admission, um, what he says was that uh, uh, he missed the biggest opportunity of his life because about the same time that he was uh, doing his very last book, book packaging deal that uh, that I think he said had a, a market of about 8,000 copies, a couple of guys uh, in a garage in Silicon Valley uh, were producing. Using the, uh, the the basis of Yahoo, um, so he decided what he was going to do was to do a book on uh, on sort of you know the internet, all the websites of the internet, rather than thinking about producing an indexing engine. Uh, and so he's got a um, he's got a story that he, that he says that uh, at the time when Yahoo was getting born, uh, he was uh, they were doing the right things, he was doing the wrong things, so he missed the boat completely, uh, and that cost him something like twenty billion dollars. So. Uh, that's how uh, how sort of he got his start. But uh, so to make make a long story short, he then sort of progressed on from that and started an internet company called Yo-Yo Dine that eventually went on to uh, get sold to Yahoo. And um, uh, at that point, he became a, a sort of a full-time muse. Uh, he doesn't do any consulting. He just writes and speaks uh, and shares his, 
his insights and wisdom. And he um, he has a, a blog that's the world's um, well recognised as the world's sort of most important business blog. He, um, he he does what he calls as a riff every single day, sort of stream of consciousness, whatever he's thinking about as it relates to uh, everything associated with the connection economy. Uh, mm-hmm. And as you know, I'm a big connection economy man. Uh, he in fact actually coined the phrase the connection economy. So he uh, he riffs on uh, on his blog daily uh, on the connection economy when he's not writing books and doing other interesting projects like uh, Alt MBA and, uh, and and other initiatives that sort of take his fancy from time to time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I've been talking a long time, and I'll get back to the purple reference that you made. But okay. in reality, what Seth Godin has done is he's understood the true dynamics of the connection economy, and he's then synthesized the big ideas in the connection economy down to a series of books that he's written as the ideas have sort of coalesced in his mind and he's been able to sort of document them and get them out. Uh, And one of the early ones that he wrote, which was uh, uh, pivotal in my own thinking as to uh, the, sort of the, uh, the, the, the intelligent content marketing model that I've got going in my own business today, uh, is the book that he wrote called uh, The Purple Cow uh, in 2003. Okay. Now, what made this book um, so pivotal for you? What, what, what was in there that, that changed your way of thinking? Well, well, the circumstances of my commercial life at that time precluded me from being able to action the ideas that uh, are embodied in that uh, in that tone. Mm. Um, but the essential message is that in an over-communicated world like we have today, the only way that you can uh, command anybody's people's attention, anybody's attention, is to stand out, mm. and that is to be remarkable. Uh, and he makes the point, uh, which uh, heralds the uh, title of the book, in fact, that, um, you know, one day he was driving through France with his wife and his children. After a long flight, they were heading off to where they needed to go from the airport. And um, the kids were making a huge ruckus in the back. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, they went quiet. Uh, and they went quiet for a microsecond because for the first time in their lives, they'd seen cows in a field. Uh, and so they looked at the cows and then they, you know, were stunned silent. Then they had a few observations and remarks about them. Then they talked about the cows for the next three or four minutes. And then after that, you know, the one cow was just like another and they lost interest in it. And that was the end of it. They never talked about cows again after that. Mm. So, so Seth, Seth Godin had this awareness. What happened if you sort of were driving along a field, uh, driving along through um, a road and in the fields one day, you see standing there a purple cow. Well, what you do is you stop the car, you jump out, you go over, you take photographs of it, you think about it, you tell all your friends about it. No one ever sees a purple cow, right? Uh, And as a result of that, the whole idea of having a business model and a presence particularly on the internet that is by definition remarkable, be outstanding, be standing out, um, is the way that you command people's attention. So so that that involves a whole variety of sort of uh, thinking about your uh, your business proposition and, and how you want it to be manifested. Because if you're just ordinary, then no one's going to notice you. Um, one of the takeaways from my reading of the book was that it's as much about products as well. And the product you manufacture or whatever it is, as you say, has to be remarkable. Well, it's got to be it's got to be remarkable by design. Um, so you you know you think you think through essentially how you're going to have whatever you have um, built into the fabric of what it is uh, the ability to sell it because 
people are going to be intrinsically interested in it because it's remarkable. And remember that the, the definition of remarkable is to make a remark about it. Uh, so whatever whatever your proposition is, it has to be of such um, such, such special quality in uh, sorts that uh, that people are going to talk about it. And do you think that's that's a product that's you new and unique to the market, or do you think that's every product, even if there's a, a thousand of the same? <laughs> Well, okay. So let's 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 sort of you know prescribe exactly who the purple cow is for. Who's the audience for the purple cow? Um, what I've come to understand in my experience is that the audience for the purple cow is somebody who's about to start a business uh, and wants to do something very different. So they don't have to re-engineer what they've already got to turn it into a purple cow, but their proposition, whatever it is that they're ultimately selling, whatever value it is that they're delivering, has to be anticipated as such in such a way that uh, it's going to be di- it's going to be different. It's going to be remarkable. Uh, and then an example, you know, of that is in um, in my business so uh, we give all our intellectual property away for free we're, we're an immigration law firm uh, and in a in a profession where lawyers charge by their time uh, and they're very sort of you know um, aggressive about uh, uh, clocking up the time that they spend uh, in uh, in search of billable hours uh, for us to come along and say well no we, we don't believe in that what we're going to do is we're going to give all our ip to away for free we're going to share with it while we're going to share give you all our tips and tricks and 25 years of experience. It's all going to be documented. It's there for you to make of it as you will. Action it. Do your work without paying for professional help. Whatever it takes. Um, but but our IP is free, and we're the only firm in Hong Kong. In fact, as far as I'm aware, the only firm, immigration firm in the world that does that. Is, is um, there, is and, there, and so that's remarkable. Is there any way to compete with free? Well, that's another uh, that, that's another dimension again to having a remarkable business model. So, um, yeah, you can't compete with free. If you if your competitors uh, are doing what they do and uh, they're doing it the, the the same way as they've always done it, and that involves them basically delivering a service in it or or a supply of something in exchange for a fee. Um, if you've got the ability to disaggregate and reaggregate value so that you can actually give everything away for free like we've done, uh, then you're settling on de- delivering a different kind of value. Uh, and our, the value that we deliver uh, against us giving away our IP for free is, as we may have discussed previously, is the peace of mind. People are paying for peace of mind from an immigration provider. Um, now, another another one of um, Godin's books was Unleashing the Idea Virus, and I know that was also pivotal in uh, you creating one for yours. It's, we've discussed this at length over the years, and it's, not, it's something that I've never really quite got my head around. Um, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, so an idea virus is, um, well, I'll, let me give you an example. The um, ice bucket challenge. Oh, yes. That's an idea virus. Okay. Okay, so what was my idea virus? My idea virus embodied in this notion that I was going to give all my intellectual property away for free and help people answer questions and solve problems and give them what they need to make informed decisions about, uh, you know, what the best solution to their problem is. Uh, I wanted to sort of tie the physical result of delivering that experience to people into a collection of words that embodied uh, a what. The value is that we we do we, you know we 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 deliver the, the the space that we're in and b that it's actually related to me personally mm-hmm. um, and so I came up with the idea virus the Hong Kong visa geezer okay 
Now, and, does that rely on somebody understanding the term geezer? Because it's a colloquialism, well, obviously, from England. Indeed, yes, absolutely. So there, there, there's a certain segment of the market that we provide services to who won't, who possibly won't get the meaning of the word geezer. But they certainly understand Hong Kong and they certainly understand visa. So given that there's 75% of the way there, um, at least if they come across the words Hong Kong visa geezer, they're going to be curious as to understand what the visa geezer, what the geezer piece is. Um, and then they, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll have a look at the website and then they'll say, actually, this is a place to go you get all your immigration problems uh, solved and all your uh, all your questions answered, um, and then they may they may not understand the connotation uh, in terms of the vernacular uh, geezer applying to sort of a particular type of man from the southern south of England. But what they will do is they'll remember the words Hong Kong visa geezer to associate that particular experience that they've had on that website. Uh, so in the future, when they're trying to find us again, or whether they're telling other people about this experience that they've had on the website related to Hong Kong immigration. They don't have to remember Hong Kong Visa Centre and they don't have to remember my name, Stephen Barnes. All they have to do is recall Hong Kong Visa Geezer or just Visa Geezer for those people that you know are, are off air with the meaning of Visa Geezer in the colloquial. And, and do you think the term Visa, or, uh, sorry, Visa Geezer also made it more approachable in that if you had gone Hong Kong Visa Lawyers, it would have been uh, once again not approachable by the man in the street? Do you think you toned down and made it approachable? Well, I, I think you've answered you've answered a question that I never asked myself. That is a question that perhaps I should have asked myself way back when, but I never got to the point where I wanted to call itself the Hong Kong Visa Lawyers. I think it makes perfect sense, right? Because those people who understand what Visa Geezer is as is a colloquialism, mm. uh, that then means that this guy must be approachable and of a particular type of you know personality. That that means I don't have to be intimidated by reaching out to him and making the connection. And, and do you think my own um, station named Digital Bacon FM, do you think that's a uh, an idea virus, given that everybody loves bacon and uh, Digital Bacon FM says it all, or am I just reaching? Uh, well, you know, not. I wouldn't, Be nice. I wouldn't, position <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't position myself as being being, being an expert on, um, you know people's psychology when it comes to making sort of associations with words and, and, and food and what you are and all the rest of that good stuff. Mm. Um, Digital Bacon FM is catchy. Mm. Uh, is it an idea virus in the uh, sort of commonly understood form? Let me give you another example as to whether or not um, it might be considered an idea virus. Mm. The, the second project I'm involved in, as you know, is intelligent content marketing. Yeah. So I called, I coined that phrase, intelligent content marketing, because um, Firstly, everybody understands the word intelligent and content and marketing. Mm. Um, secondly, there is a marketing concept out there, which I think is complete bullshit. It's called content marketing. Okay. Um, uh, so there, are, there is an association in people's minds automatically with, with, with potentially what intelligent content marketing is. They've got their, their own definitions of perceptions of what content marketing is, but I've come along and put the word intelligent in front of it, which then gives you an opportunity to qualify actually what this thing called content marketing might be. Mm. So I've, de I've deliberately um, built a, a collection of material and content uh, around this notion of um, of intelligent content marketing, and I'm intending to parlay that as an idea virus. It's something that people will remember. So if you know, perhaps a year from now we have a conversation 
with a bunch of uh, uh, content marketeers who've had exposure to the whole intelligent content marketing um, uh, proposition that we're putting out there. Uh, I have a very strong sense that they will be referring to the idea that's associated with with intelligent content marketing. They'll be referring to it as intelligent content marketing because it has the qualities of an idea virus, right? It's understandable. You can pass it on. And, and intrinsically, there's, um, there's some value associated with in, in, in engaging intellectually and in trying to fathom out what that thing is all about. So tying that back to digital, digital bacon FM, you know, if you can apply that test to it, then you have an idea virus. If you can apply that te- that test to it successfully, then you've 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 got a catchy a catchy radio name, and you know and that's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But sure. is it an idea virus? Probably not. Okay. Now um, I received a question for you on WhatsApp. Do you agree with Godin that one should start small rather than big? Uh, given that he also well, has a book, smaller than you big. Yeah, it's the only way to start. It's the only way to start because because you have to you've got to fathom out what your proposition is right so you come up with a with an idea that says that our business model is going to look like this uh, and so then you put 10 million dollars behind it take it to market what happens if you've got it all wrong mm. no there's no need for that you have to start small you, you're starting off with ideas and you, you you want to test them and you want to as we did over time uh, understand what works and then think, right, how can I improve this business model? How can I add another element to it that's, that's going to um, differentiate us from everybody else in the marketplace and also collectively go on to be, you know, a part of the purple cow that you're going to build. Um, so, yeah, uh, you have to start small. And, you know, I started the Hong Kong Visa Center um, small uh in 2010 coming out of almost bankruptcy as you know i didn't have any resources to go big um, i had to start small but what i had was the ability to you know, access uh, the profound uh, know-how of seth Godin and and my other intellectual heroes uh, appreciate the lessons that they have to impart and then slowly slowly incrementally add the lessons that uh, that they were suggesting uh, would, would, would create value for, for me and my business. Adding that into the business mix and testing it little by little by little by little meant that, you know, from, from small acorns, tall trees grow. Sure. Now, I remember we, we did a, a series um, where you were interviewing um, people who were starting out their businesses in Hong Kong and you actually, you, you did a TV show on those and, and put them on your website. And the, the one that... Um, These I, are geezer interviews. There you go. The idea virus that never stuck with me. Um, yes, those interviews, there was one in particular that I really enjoyed was the gentleman who invented that pen, the 3D pen. Um, oh, yeah. Three doodling. Yeah. And what I took away from, from yours and his conversation was that he'd, he'd created a community around this pen. They were basically his beta testers and, um, they then started sharing their own interactions with this pen and then started testing the limits of what this pen could actually do. And they became, as you always say, his tribe. And I've, I've found yeah. that really fantastic. Um, it was a good way yeah, for him to yeah. go ahead with it, you know. Well, 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 yeah. And they see, see what Daniel, Daniel Cohen, uh, the founder of Three Doodly, did at that point is that he understood that there was a community of interest out there on the planet that would intrinsically be um, 
thrilled and enthralled by this particular product that he had. And that the, the, the creative types that they are, they would naturally want to be sharing and they'd want to um, connect and, uh, and, 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 and interact with other people of like minds. And so, so that's the beauty of, 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 of the connection economy because you, you're no longer producing, as Seth Godin says, you know, average stuff for the mass market. Mm. What you're doing is you're, you're producing particular stuff for the for the people the, the people that've got an interest in that stuff and it's not the mass market it's it, it's specialist it's it, it's a good market but they're they're scattered and so if you can come up with as, did, as Daniel did with the products and then um, uh, that, that was going to appeal to a particular market and then position that that product right in the center and the heart of that market then then that tribe is going to organize itself around you it will definitely find you and it will participate in it um, and and again that's all part and part and parcel of the premise of starting small um, your tribe is is built up organically and you win your relationships one at a time mm. uh, and so, uh, so 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 yeah that that's what it's really all about it's all about understanding your tribe would you say that that pen was his purple cow uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, when he first started, it was his purple cow. Absolutely. Uh, there, of course, because it's in manufacturing, eventually they went on to get copied and, uh, you know, it's a little bit more sort of commoditized and ubiquitous now. Great product and doing very well and all the rest of it. Um, is it a purple cow any longer? Probably not. True purple cows tend to stick around for the long haul. Mm. Um, now, another one of Godin's book, uh, books was called All Marketers Are Liars. Uh, consumers yeah. believe what they want to believe. Um, mm. Do you do you stand by that? Uh, well, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the 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 one of the things that I've come to understand being a publisher is that actually, because you control the messaging, and if you are communicating into uh, an audience that don't have anything, you know, by which to compare what you're saying, then essentially the bias of no comparison works in your favor and you ultimately create your own reality. Mm. Now, I think I think marketeers have kind of understood that down the years, and I believe that's what Seth Godin was really talking about. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, all marketeers are liars because they've got their own agendas and they're going to promote their own agendas. They're going to create their own, their, their own realities as a result of, you know, the propositions that they're parlaying. And was there a big move from people understanding that it's just messaging to actual authenticity? Yeah, because, because now advertising just doesn't work in the, in the, in the way that it used to work. <laughs> now what's happening is that, yeah, people who are on the receiving end of communications, they're anticipating that they're, they're, you know, this communication that's going on isn't designed to to be addressed to a massive audience of which you're just one caught in the crossfire. Uh, it's designed specifically for you. It speaks to you. So, so the the, the language and the um, uh, and the sort of the ethos behind the communications tend now to be based on authenticity and based on sort of trust because it's about the genesis of a relationship. And you can have a genesis, you can have a relationship that's based on a, on a falsehood. Uh, and the vast majority of advertising to one degree or another was based on some kind of falsehood. Now what you've got is the need to be intrinsically uh, authentic uh, and transparent. So, so, so from that perspective, the, the, the worm has turned, I believe. You can no longer get away with those shenanigans. And if, if I was going to start a business or if I had a business that was relatively young, how would you suggest that I take 
the wise words of Seth Godin and then employ them in, uh, in that starting phase or in a business that's already running? Well, firstly, you read all his books and then you understand the ideas. Okay, and then you do an assessment of what it is that you're actually selling. What, what, what is it you're selling? Once you understand what you're selling, you can disaggregate and reaggregate value. Once you've done that, you can take all the precepts of Seth Godin's ideas and then start to implement them, you know, in terms of how you communicate permission marketing, for example, the purple cow, recognize that you're going to build a tribe, design your idea virus, get all the, uh, get all the, 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 the elements in place so that you can become a linchpin. Um, these are all the, uh, the, the, the key sort of, you know, ideas that, that, that Seth has parlayed uh, that uh, you don't see too many businesses actually actually adopting these things they they um they tend to think that they are uh, aspirational and, and, and intellectually of very high value but but because of corporate inertia and other things no one ever sort of you know takes the initiative and seeks to sort of act on them so you if you're starting out from scratch uh, if you've gone through that exercise of building something that by definition and implication is remarkable uh, in the way that i've just suggested and then take on board seth golden's ideas and the ideas of my other intellectual heroes which i'm sure we'll talk about on future shows um, and inject them into you know your, your end proposition starting small and incrementally building it out and then testing what works and what doesn't work infusing what you're doing and uh, this idea that you're going to help people answer questions, you're going to help them solve problems, you're going to assist them actually attain the jobs to be done that need to get done, uh, and then do it against the backdrop of telling your own story, showing your vulnerabilities, and showing that you're authentic and honest, uh, and telling also, as we do with intelligent content marketing, uh, telling the story of the business as you are doing it, right? We're having this conversation now, and we're going, the, you know, the results of this conversation will get recorded, and it will appear on one of my websites in the future. Mm. people are interested in this kind of stuff will be able to access that uh, and it's part and parcel of our story so storytelling is absolutely integral to um, building uh, success in the connection economy it's got to be the, the, the story of the people behind it but also the story of the business itself you know and uh, the application of intelligent content marketing into um, the Hong Kong Visa Center and indeed how we're taking intelligent content marketing to, to market using sort of eating our own dog food as it were it's all based on telling the story of how we're doing it okay now you you said a minute ago that um, his books are considered aspirational by many and none of the principles or very few, few businesses actually implement the principles he's talking about. Why is that? Well, I think it's lazy marketing. I think what happens is that, you know, you go into, if, if, you, if you're an experienced entrepreneur, you know, after a while, you come to understand that, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. But if you're a successful industrial economy business and you've done something the same way, you know, forever and you're still making money and you don't, you're not aware of, you know, how the world is changing around you. It's kind of like the, the slowly boiling frog in a pan of hot water and being heated water. If you're in that situation as an established business in the, operating in the industrial economy, you just don't have the point of reference or the, the internal sort of, you know, kick needed to, to, to reinvent yourself. Um, and then when it comes to other businesses, smaller business owners or, or 
businesses that are starting out. Um, all I can do is sort of, you know, take myself back to my intellectual state in 92, 93, when I was starting business for the first time, straight out of law school. You know, I got my law degree from the London School of Economics and I passed the solicitor's final examination. And this was a kid that, you know, didn't even graduate from high school originally. So I was full of myself figuring, well, if I can do all that kind of stuff. Surely I can be successful in business. It can't be that hard, can it? Mm. Uh, but my Lord, what a journey I went on. It took me, it took me 20 years of, 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 you know, failed business ventures, constant pain and suffering, almost bankruptcy to wake up to the fact that, you know, you've got to do things differently if you want to be successful. So I don't think, you know, I mean, I think people don't take on board these ideas because, uh, A, they don't have the confidence to um, to sort of think that they might work. B, they don't really have any sort of um, case studies around them that shows exactly how, you know, it might work for them and what they can do with it. And C, you know, they're getting all their advice from marketing and business business. Um, um, gurus that's probably 15 or 20 years out of date altogether mm. uh, so what are they supposed to believe so so now you're a, a chap that looks forward as well as takes an introspective and also a backwards view of how things have happened if you if you could sum up uh, what it was that you think you did wrong in your failed businesses what would that be was it was there a consistent theme that you constantly employed that yeah. didn't work Ab- Absolutely. And this is another Seth Godin concept that came to me later in the day. Finally, after it all, I picked myself. Because prior to that, every decision that I was making, every deal that I got involved in, every business transaction that, you know, formed part and parcel of my career, always involved other people that invariably held to one degree or another the key to my success, my own personal success. And, and because these people over time, constantly disappointed me not because there's anything wrong with them but just because they're always going to pursue their own agendas came to me as i say facing bankruptcy squarely in the face 49 years of age i've got to get rid of all of this nonsense i've got to pick myself so that's been the catalytic change for me picking myself doing it my way relying on my experience knowing that whatever whatever uh, whatever decisions i make in my business today yeah, I'm the one that suffers the consequences of it. Only me, nobody else, right? Mm. So, so from that perspective, I have control. I've got my hands on the on the wheels. And and looking back, since I've made that decision, all my peers that have been successful in the ten or fifteen years prior to you know me meeting my success, actually, the the reason they were successful is because they always controlled their own destinies. They didn't sort of they weren't a democrat like me. They relied relied on others too much. So, so I think I think that that's the pivotal point you know rely on yourself that doesn't mean that you don't you don't take on board other people's advice and opinions and you you search it out and you you get all the best inputs around you of course that's just being prudent and and part of you know the 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 other key to my success which is lifelong learning you've got to be constantly trying to improve but in the final analysis pick yourself and don't don't enter into transactions or deals where you have you have to rely on others to to to, to find the keys to your success because they will almost certainly disappoint you now I know I know the structure of your business, and I've met Martin on many many occasions. Um, when you say pick yourself, obviously you can't grow a business to a, a certain size, and sometimes you don't have all of the skills that are are required to deliver a certain kind of business. Um, would you say that you and Martin are like minded in your approach, or you both have different strengths that you bring to this business, going in the same direction? 
Yeah, the latter. And, you know, the, the, the reality is that, um, you know, Martin, Martin has quite a few years less experience than I am because he's 13 years younger than me. Uh, and he joined my business, one of my early businesses, as an employee originally. And I met him when I was a teenager, right? But, but that's not to take anything away from the profound experience that he's had with me over the last few years as we've gone through, you know, went to hell and back. So, so kind of, you know, what, 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 what the way that Martin and I interact is very much kind of like we now know each other so well. We understand the boundaries of our own competences. Uh, and we just operate within the boundaries of our own competences. And we, we certainly have discussions about, you know, what decisions we're making that fall within the, uh, the, the boundaries of our own discrete individual competences. But we never second guess each other ultimately if, if this, a call is made in relation to our own competences, knowing that, that we, we, you know, we would be fools to, to try and second guess each other as to, you know, what the right outcome is um, for, for any decisions that we're making that, that properly belongs in the hands of either Martin or, or, or myself. So, so, so that and the fact that, you know, because we've come through so much together and we're so like-minded and we, we view the world through the same prism, you know, we finish each other's sentences. It's sort of embarrassing how, uh, how we just see uh, eye to eye on everything. Okay. Um, and next week, where are we going to go next with your marketing matters? Well, I thought what we might do is sort of uh, week, week by week, we'll go through uh, sort of, you know, elements that uh, amount to an intelligent content marketing strategy, the big ideas. Mm. Uh, and then the sort of, uh, to, let's work, go through the, my, my four intellectual heroes, plus uh, Professor Clay Christensen and what he's had to say about creative disruption. Um, so uh, next week, perhaps we'll uh, we'll uh, cover Kevin Kelly. That'll be fantastic. Good. Thanks very much, Stephen. You have an, an awesome weekend, and we'll catch up next Friday. Digital Bacon FM. I hope you found Seth Golding as inspiring as I did. Stay tuned for the next episode where we discuss the principles of Kevin Kelly and his roadmap to the digital economy. Mm-hmm.